In March of 2020, Maida Mendez was living in Lincoln, Nebraska. She was working as an administrator at a public school. And then she got a call from her mom. It was about their upcoming vacation. She called in and asked me to call in and cancel the flights and see what their options were. And I think that's when it kind of hit me that coronavirus was in Nebraska. They had planned to visit family in Mexico, but they decided with the virus, it was a bad idea for her mom to travel. Maida's mom had recently lost a kidney to cancer and was undergoing chemotherapy again, this time for lung cancer. It's been about a year and a half since she's been on the last, the latest treatment, and that one seems to work well. The spots in her lung, they're not necessarily getting bigger and they're slowly shrinking, but the doctor did say that it's a, it's a long process, slow process. And then the family made a decision. Myra's parents both have jobs at a meatpacking plant in Nebraska. Because their mom could be exposed to the coronavirus at work, they decided that mom should not go back to work. I think I I just always worry about not having her. Her dad, he returned to the plant for financial reasons. But Maida was worried. If her dad brought the virus home, it could be deadly for her mom. And I started asking him, like, you know, what kind of a protection are they giving you? Do you have face masks? He said, they're giving us masks. And I said, what does a mask look like? He said, it's like the beard net, but it's a full-faced one. And so then that's when I was like, that's not going to protect you. You're still breathing in air through those holes. Like, that does nothing. For Maida, this was the first red flag. And then on April 16th, the meatpacking plant where he worked, a place called Smithfield, confirmed its first case of COVID-19. That's when... My dad started to kind of get scared too. Like at first it was kind of like, it's not, it's not here yet. And so when we heard about those first cases, it was very like, it's here, it's real. From Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And today, the children of Smithfield speak out. Throughout the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a lot of concern about the nation's food supply, specifically the meat industry's supply chain. But last spring, as cases of the virus surged in meatpacking plants across the country, it became clear that conditions in these plants were often unsafe and that many of these now-deemed essential workers weren't speaking up because of their status or fear of retaliation. Around a fourth of all meatpacking workers are undocumented. And so, instead now, it's the adult children and other family members of these meatpacking workers who have started to band together to advocate for their relatives. Maida Mendez's parents work at a plant owned by Smithfield, That's one of the largest meatpacking companies in the world. In April, she joined with other, quote, children of Smithfield in the town of Crete, Nebraska, to begin demanding safer working conditions for their parents and relatives. Reporters Marianne Andre and Esther Honig have been reporting and following Maida's story. 
Esther is going to pick up the story now. Myra is a woman in her late 20s with an athletic build and intense brown eyes. And she's warm, but she wouldn't say she's the social one in her family. I definitely consider myself a shy um, an introvert. This whole time we've been in quarantine, I've, I've been okay because I enjoy my time alone at home. She says it's her dad that's always been the extrovert. He doesn't like to be quiet. <laughs> um, he's always talking, but he just like wants to jump into every conversation. He's super affectionate and he's always like grabbing us and hugging us and kissing us and like messing up our hair. Like that's his thing. He wants to mess up our hair and kiss us at the same time. In her family, Myra's always been more of the caretaker. She has two younger brothers and she's always looked out for them. When my second brother was born, um, I was babysitting him all summer. And so he was a six-month-old and I was 15 and I was the one in charge of taking care of him. And I think a lot of my character was built from being the oldest sibling. Um, just around the house, I always was told, like, you have to be the example for your brothers. Um, kind of pave the way. As a family, they've always spent a lot of time together partially because they moved around a lot when she was little. Myra's parents used to work as migrant farm workers. I was born in Washington State, and my parents picked fruits and other crops like potatoes. We would move between Washington State and Idaho back and forth. When she was in third grade, her parents, who immigrated from Mexico and later became U.S. citizens, heard they could get better and more stable work in Nebraska, in meatpacking. It would mean they didn't have to move around anymore. But as a little kid... She was nervous about leaving her school, where there were lots of other bilingual students. I just remembered in Washington State, they taught me in Spanish and English. So it was like half day English, half day Spanish. And so here, I remember that was like my biggest fear. I wasn't sure if I knew English. I said, do I really know English? Obviously, I knew English, but it was just not the atmosphere I was used to. The family moved to Crete, Nebraska, a small town of about 7,000 people. And throughout her childhood, Myra saw lots of different people move in. As the town started to grow and I got older, we started to see a lot of Central American um, families move in, uh, a lot of like Sudanese. Um, and then now it's a, there's a lot of Karen families as well from Thailand and Burma. And many of these families moved to Crete to work in meatpacking too. The meatpacking industry actually used to be a largely white, middle-class workforce. But then in the 1980s and 90s, meatpacking unions were largely gutted. And so companies began recruiting refugees and immigrants as a source of cheap labor they thought would be unlikely to organize. Today, they make up more than half of all meatpacking workers in the U.S. And while Crete was once historically a mill town where they ground flour and corn, today the biggest employer is a meatpacking plant owned by Smithfield. And that's what drove us to Crete, Nebraska. Um, and we've been there ever since. So my parents have been working at the plant for um, over 18 years. Throughout her childhood, Myra's parents worked eight to 10 hour shifts, processing and packaging pork for restaurants and supermarkets worldwide. Them and Myra would get home from school and rarely see them. I would remember that they would come home tired all the time. I think they got home like at midnight usually most days. And that was the reality for most of the people she knew in Crete. I would say like all my friends growing up that were Hispanic, at least one parent worked at the plant. 
And have they ever had any sort of injuries or health consequences from, from their, their jobs? My dad has been injured a couple times. He stuck his hand in the machine. It, the machine was um, jammed and the machine cut um, the tip of, I think it was two of his fingers, but it wasn't like bad enough to lose a finger. Even in non-pandemic times, working in a meatpacking plant is one of the most hazardous jobs in the U.S. Workers are cut by sharp knives or develop carpal tunnel syndrome from the fast and repetitive work. And in March of 2020, work in meatpacking became even more dangerous. Tonight, workers in some meat plants are raising the alarm. Some employees describe to NBC News having to work shoulder to shoulder on the line. Over the next couple of weeks, cases of COVID-19 at meatpacking plants begin surging across the country, hundreds and then thousands. And in many states across the Midwest, small meatpacking towns became hotspots. Nearly 600 workers at various meatpacking plants across Nebraska tested positive for the coronavirus in April, with at least one death. The worker says this is a picture of the cafeteria, outfitted with cardboard dividers and yellow tape for social distancing. But the employee tells us that is nearly impossible. And it's around this time that Myra's mom took her medical leave, but her dad kept working. And then it was that next week when things started popping up about the South Dakota plant. And then in mid-April, a massive outbreak in South Dakota suddenly became a national story. Meat processing plants are now major hotspots for the virus. The CDC is investigating the Smithfield Foods pork facility in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, as we're learning about more Smithfield facilities with confirmed cases in other states, threatening a major disruption to supply chains. The outbreak was in a different state, but it was at a Smithfield plant, the same company where Myra's parents worked in Nebraska. And it was the biggest hotspot of COVID-19 in the U.S. at the time with over 600 people infected. Myra remembers reading about it in a story from the BBC. And I read this article. I felt like I was reading a story that I could have written myself. The BBC reported that instead of telling sick employees to stay home, the company offered a $500 responsibility bonus to South Dakota workers if they came in for all their shifts. And instead of face masks, workers were given beard nuts, just like Myra's dad. Smithfield maintains that they worked as swiftly as possible to secure PPE in the midst of a nationwide shortage, that they encouraged sick workers to stay home, and also that employees who missed work due to COVID-19 would still get the bonus. Myra posted the BBC article on Facebook, writing, something needs to be done soon about all these meatpacking facilities. And then my mom shortly after sent me a text message and asked me to remove that post. In her eyes, somebody from the company could see my post and get mad about it and call my dad in and question him and why his daughter is retaliating, I guess. In that moment, she realized just how fearful her parents and other workers were about speaking up. I can't remember who exactly added us, but someone started this group chat. It was a Facebook group chat. The article stirred a lot of anger, not just in Myra, but in her community. 
all of a sudden, she started hearing from other kids of meatpacking workers, including old high school friends she hadn't heard from in years. They started sharing what they were hearing from their parents about conditions at the plant in Crete and messaging in frustration. We felt like it was our obligation to speak out for our parents who have done nothing but work in this intensive, physically laborious job to provide for us. And so it's it's not even an obligation. It just feels like that's my job. And eventually they decided to move beyond Facebook. They organized a group known as the Children of Smithfield. As cases of COVID-19 at the plant started to rise, the children of Smithfield began hearing that employees were continuing to come in even when they felt sick. Workers said there were cardboard dividers at the lunch tables and temperature checks at the plant entrance, but they felt pressure from their supervisors, or they weren't told that Smithfield was offering two weeks of paid sick leave if they had COVID-19. And concern was mounting not just in Crete, but across the state of Nebraska. In fact, back in late March, local health officials had written to the governor, Republican Pete Ricketts, urging him to shutter another Nebraska packing plant after a surge of cases there. But the governor refused to intervene. Two more questions. In April, he held a press conference and was asked if he would ever consider closing down the plants. And we are working with them to keep them open. And so I don't foresee a scenario where I would tell them to close. Uh, we're working very hard to make sure they can stay open because it's vital for our food supply. Can you imagine what would happen if people could not go to the store and get food? His reasoning, closing the plants would lead to chaos. Think how mad people were when they couldn't get paper products. Think about it if they can't get food, right, folks? This is why it's vitally important that we keep our food processors open because we would have civil unrest if that was not the case. Later, reporting by ProPublica would reveal the CEO of Smithfield had sent a letter to Governor Ricketts a month before the press conference, pressuring him not to shut down the plants. It read, social distancing is a nicety that makes sense only for people with laptops. And it warned that if meatpacking plants were shut down to contain the virus, quote, food shortages would lead to social unrest. We started to realize that the meatpacking plants were going to continue to do whatever they needed to do to keep running. Two days later, the children of Smithfield decided to take more direct action. They decided to hold a protest, a socially distant drive-by car protest. We drove around the plant a couple of times and then we came back to the parking lot. A couple of us got out of our cars and held out our signs on the sidewalk. Workers coming off their shift cheer and support. In all, Myra says there were about 50 cars that day, mostly children and family members. Workers themselves weren't willing to join in, but the protest did spread statewide. It involved people at meatpacking plants in Grand Island, Lexington, and Crete. Protesters say this is a scene Crete will continue to see every single Saturday if COVID consciousness does not get better at Smithfield Foods, just south of the downtown area. So far, there are six confirmed cases from those working within the plant. All the people want is just a little transparency and enough PPE to feel safe. We wanted to show solidarity. And the purpose of that car vigil was to bring some attention to it, but also let the, the workers know that they weren't alone. Just a few days after the protest, the number of COVID positive cases at the plant jumped sharply to just under 50. And that seemed to be a wake-up call for Smithfield. 
in late April, employees learned that the plant would close for up to two weeks. For the children of Smithfield, it felt like a win. I want to believe that Smithfield at some point said, okay, yeah, we need to close because our employees need some time to rest. We need to clean. We need to really give them the proper protection. But according to local reporting, later that same day, corporate officials pulled a 180. They reversed their decision to close. Smithfield would not confirm this in their statements to reporters. I really believe that it was people like Governor Ricketts and the current president that got their hands involved and told them no. Governor Ricketts says Smithfield officials called him and told him the production line would not stop running. The next day, President Trump issued an executive order that he said would mandate all meatpacking plants remain open. And that was a breaking point. When workers were told one thing and came back the next day, that's when it opened up their eyes. Coming up on Latino USA, the children of Smithfield up their protests. Stay with us. No te vayas. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp, a truly affordable online counseling service. Fill out a questionnaire online and get matched with a licensed counselor best suited to your mental health needs. Whether it's depression, anxiety, or trauma, BetterHelp will help you overcome what stands in the way of your happiness. Learn more at BetterHelp.com and get 10% off your first month with promo code LATINO. BetterHelp. Get help anytime, anywhere. Back in the day, as Netflix began to gain popularity, its rival Blockbuster was looking for an edge. At one point, the investors were asking Blockbuster <laughs> yeah. to sell jeans in the store. Yeah, you just imagine these like older investors being like, you know what the kids want? They want jeans. You get a Tom Cruise movie and some stonewashed jeans. The downfall of Blockbuster and the rise of Netflix. Listen to It's Been a Minute from NPR. back. When we left off, the Smithfield meatpacking plant in Crete, Nebraska, had almost 50 cases of COVID-19, but it didn't close and workers had had enough. Marianne Andre and Esther Honig have been reporting on the protest movement at the meatpacking plants, and Esther continues the story now. Up until now, workers have been reluctant to join the protest or speak out because of fear of retaliation or status. But that day, April 28th, in an unprecedented move, at least 50 employees walked off the job. Workers are seen walking out of Smithfield Foods in Crete on Tuesday. This comes after the company announced it will remain open despite workplace concerns. And that momentum continued. The second car vigil um, that we had, we just had 
a huge amount of people. Like the parking lot when I got there at two o'clock was full. There were over 150 cars, and most were filled with workers. It was as if the protest had transformed into a parade. It was a huge line. The energy was, it was awesome. Myra led the line of cars out of the parking lot past fields of corn and soybeans, and she recorded this Facebook Live video. Here we go. Driving around Crete. Look at that line. I just remembered I got really excited when I put on the song from Black Eyed Peas, Where is the Love? I felt happy. Um, I felt some hope that maybe we could make something happen together. The workers pulled into the parking lot of Smithfield, honking their horns and cheering. People waved Mexican and American flags. They held up homemade signs that read, My parents are more important than meat. For Crete, this was a historic moment. Oh, I've never heard of a protest happen at Smithfield. And we've been there for over 18 years. I don't think it's ever happened. But not everyone who wanted to could attend these protests. My uncle actually called me and he said, Grandpa's not feeling really good. He's having a hard time breathing. Vimai is one of the other children of Smithfield. She just returned home from her final semester of college when she received a worried call from her uncle. Her grandfather got on the phone. So I asked him, I was just like, what's wrong? And he's like, I can't breathe. I don't feel good. I think I might have COVID. I want to go to the hospital. V's grandfather came to the U.S. from Vietnam in 1994 and worked for decades in meatpacking before retiring. Later, the family received a call from the hospital confirming their worst fear. He had tested positive for COVID-19. How do you even receive that news? Because that news to him was basically a death sentence. V was confused about how he could have gotten the virus. How is this possible? Because my grandfather and my grandmother are both retired, so they spend all their time at home. They didn't leave the house. After her grandfather was diagnosed, the whole family got tested for COVID-19. And it turned out that V's aunt and uncle, who lived with her grandfather, were asymptomatic for the virus. They're also both employees of Smithfield. The only explanation would be that they got it from work. My aunt and my uncle got it at Smithfield. Her grandfather stayed at the hospital for several days, and as his health rapidly declined, the nurses held up a phone so his family could at least see him over FaceTime. And on May 5th, V's grandfather passed away from complications due to COVID-19. The next day, V posted a long message on Instagram, and she tagged Smithfield. So it reads, Hi, both my aunt and uncle work for you in Crete, Nebraska. They both tested positive for COVID and passed it on to my grandmother and grandfather, who never left the house. My grandfather lost his battle last night after fighting for his life for a week. I want you to know he died in the hospital, alone, isolated, and scared. I want you to know no one in my family was able to say goodbye to him. I want to know what excuse you have for not shutting down a factory that has 50 confirmed cases. 
And most importantly, I want you to see him as a person that has been affected by this and not just another statistic of your carelessness. This message, which V later posted to Facebook, was shared nearly 3,000 times and was picked up by local and national news. Tam Mai, a Lincoln man, celebrated his 80th birthday. On May 5th, he died of coronavirus in a hospital room alone. But his granddaughter is hoping his story will not end there. I just lost my grandfather, who was someone who took care of me for a lot of my life, um, who was the person who took me to get my driver's license, who was the person who would pick pick me up after school. And I lost that. And I wanted them to see who he was. Despite all the protests, V's viral message, and the rising number of cases, the Smithfield plant remained open. In fact, the New York Times reported that in April, Smithfield and other meatpacking companies actually exported a record amount of pork. Smithfield sent China over 9,000 tons of pork, one of its highest monthly totals in years. And on May 6, Governor Ricketts held another press conference where he made an announcement. An announcement that went against the recommendations of most health officials. Employers not entitled to get around HIPAA laws. He said meatpacking plants no longer have to report how many COVID-19 cases they have. So unless the person who works for the employer specifically tells the employer that they've got coronavirus and gives them permission to release that, the employer can't do anything about it. That means going forward, all data will be anonymized, which makes it hard to know exactly where cases of COVID-19 are breaking out and hold individual meatpacking companies accountable for their unsafe practices. Without knowing how many people are affected in your workplace, you can't make a decision of, do I go to work? Do I put my family in danger? By early May, the Crete plant had at least 139 cases. And protests, led by the children of meatpacking workers, started to take place at at least 12 other plants across the country. And at the end of the month, their protests merged with the national outcry over the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. George Floyd! Say his name! George Floyd! On the steps of the Nebraska state capitol, demonstrators held signs for paid sick leave next to signs for Black Lives Matter. Myra, leaning into her new role as an activist, spoke to the crowd. But we won't allow employers and government officials to classify plant workers as essential workers without treating them as essential lives. For Myra, speaking in front of large crowds still doesn't come easy. But this experience has changed her. I've always been an advocate for speaking up for what you believe. But I wasn't out there. I wasn't on the streets holding a poster or being as outspoken as I was about this situation. I don't think that something had hit me as personally as this did. It's also changed how her parents see her. My dad, he always says, you're going to be my president someday. And I'm like, never going to be into politics. They always felt she was destined to do great things. But now her dad calls her something else. I answered my phone and he said, ¿Cómo está mi abogada? And my husband kind of chuckled a little bit. It's like you're my lawyer now, based on the advocacy work that I've been doing, and I think that they're proud of me. 
Well, at first they didn't support her speaking out. Now they realize she's found her own way to be a leader. Since reporting this story, two workers at the Crete plant in Nebraska have died. Conditions at Smithfield have improved somewhat. They now have better protective equipment and they're offering hazard pay and paid sick leave if workers contract the virus or are considered high risk. But according to the union there, it's only a two-week leave and it's only offered once. And like many other meatpacking plants, they're still unable to ensure social distancing on the production line. Maida and the children of Smithfield have now shifted their focus from protests to advocacy by reaching out to state lawmakers to try to enact new legislation aimed at protecting essential workers. Nationwide, more than 39,000 meatpacking workers have contracted COVID-19. And at the time of this recording, in the beginning of August, at least 184 have died. This episode was reported by Marianne Andre and Esther Honig, produced by Marie Mendoza and edited by Sofia Palisaka. This work was done in collaboration with the Food and Environment Reporting Network. The Latino USA team includes Miguel Macias, Luis Treyes, Janice Yamoka, Julieta Martinelli, Ginny Montalvo, Alisa Escarce, and Alejandra Salazar, with help from Raul Perez. Our engineers are Stephanie Lebeau, Julia Caruso, and Leah Shaw. Our director of programming and operations is Natalia Fidelholtz. Our digital editor is Amanda Alcantara. Our New York Women's Foundation Ignite Fellow is Julia Rocha. Our interns are Sofia Sanchez and Marie Mendoza. Our theme music was composed by Zenia Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again on our next episode. And in the meantime, look for us on all of your social media. Ahí los veo. Hasta la próxima. Ciao. Latino USA is made possible in part by The Annie E. Casey Foundation creates a brighter future for the nation's children by strengthening families, building greater economic opportunity, and transforming communities. W.K. Kellogg Foundation a partner with communities where children come first. And funding for Latino USA's coverage of a culture of health is made possible in part by a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Mm-hmm.